Right. So how many of you can relate to that video? Like, you're not you when you're hungry. Like, you change, like, you metamorphosize into something that is not normally yourself, and you don't kind of go back until you, you get fed. Is that right? I mean, okay, good. All right. Well, I want us to know today, as we, before we jump into this passage, I want us to see that God has been gracious in his sovereignty and his design of us as humans as he's given us an appetite, like he's placed an appetite inside of us. And we have hungers for those appetites. Like there are things that we desire and there are things that we need. And we have a, a desire for food. Like our bodies use food and to make energy so that we can do work. And as, the more we do work and if we don't replenish ourselves with food, we become hungry. And I think God has placed that uniquely inside of us, that appetite for food, because it reminds us of a couple things. One, it reminds us that we're human. Like without food, we die. And so it reminds us of our humanity. The second thing that, that having hunger reminds us is that, um, that we need the Lord. Like we need him to provide food. For how many of us can actually make an orange? Like go home tonight and try to get the family together and make an orange. How many of you guys can make an orange? You can't. You can make orange juice, but you make orange juice from oranges. And none of us can actually make an orange. And so we know that, that even though we may have seeds and we can plant them, we can't make anything grow, but that's God that does all those things. And so we see that uh, even our desire for food and the food that we eat really doesn't even come from our own hands, but it comes from God. Now imagine for a moment if God in his design of us as humans made us so that we didn't need food. Like, think about that just for a moment. Like, you never had to eat, but you could go through life, and you could just continue on, and you never needed to refuel yourself. I'm glad he didn't make us this way, because I believe that if, if God had made us that way, none of us would ever need the Lord. Like, we would never need anything, because we have it all. And it seems as though it's only when life in our own lives will become empty or when our lives become broken, or our lives become something that's confused, or something that we just don't understand. It's not until those moments where we realize that we need something, that we come to the Lord and look for Him. And you know, the other crazy thing is that many, many um, groups, or many, many um, companies in the world that we live in today understand this need. Like, and I, I really like this Snickers commercial because it comes up with, it always ends and says, you know, Snickers really satisfies. Like, if you're hungry, we've got the cure. We've got it. If, you're, if you want to be satisfied, eat a Snickers and you'll be satisfied. But if you eat too many Snickers, then you need someone else to help you take care of all the extra weight. Right? How many of you guys like Snickers? I like, I like, I like Snickers. Amen. Yes. But we know even in the, the, the reality of their promotion, we know that there's no truth behind it. For Snickers really cannot fully satisfy. The best it can do is curb. Like it can curb your appetite for a while, but after you eat that Snickers bar and you burn up all those calories, guess what your stomach's going to tell you once again? That you need more, and that you need more, and that you need more, and that you need more. And so in reality, we become, we live in this world that's full of promises that never really fulfill. But we as people, because we have appetites, we continue to go through our life and try to fill ourselves and feed our appetites. Now, we have more than just the appetite for food. Like we have the appetite for relationships. Like God has made us to desire to be in relationship, 
not only with himself, but he's made us to be an appetite, have an appetite for relationships with other people. And here's the challenge. The world will tell us that you find all that you need if you find that special someone to walk through life with. And so what do we do? We spend our lives trying to find that person that completes us or that person that fulfills us. And so we run around from this relationship. When, when this relationship doesn't fill us exactly like we think it's supposed to, we jump to the next relationship. And then when that one doesn't quite fill us, we jump to the next one. And I'm not just talking about, you know, husband and wife, girl and boy and all that. I'm talking about the relationship needs that we have. Like sometimes a married couple will come together and they think, man, we've got it all together. Now that we're married, we're a married couple. She completes me. And then what happens as you do life, you realize that there's still not fully everything in that marriage relationship. So you're like, well, let's have kids. Maybe that will fill it. And so we go from filling ourselves with a relationship of our husband or wife to needing kids. And so we have kids. And then we realize that kids are hard and kids don't really fulfill us the way we thought. So we can't wait till they grow up. And then we are desirous for grandkids. And so we jump from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. You guys following me? We have appetites that God has given us. And what I want us to see today is that the only thing that will ever really fill us is Christ himself. Like that's all Christ came to do. That's all Christ came to reveal. All he wanted us to see is that he is enough. And that if he's not enough, then we don't have what we really, really desire in the core of who we are. So today as we continue our series, taking a look at uh, why Jesus has come and what his mission is and and what he has chosen to reveal himself to us through some signs in the book of John. I want us to see that Christ must be the place of our satisfaction. Christ must be where we go to to satisfy our souls. So let's look in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to to get a little. On this, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Had the people sit down. Now there was much grass in, that, in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them and filled the twelve ba- baskets with, twelve, with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, making him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. 
Father, thank you that you show us in your word that you are the all-satisfying person and being. Father, help us today to see that the desires that we've brought to this place, the needs that we've brought to this place can only be filled by you. Father, I know we come into this place as people that are broken, people in need. And Father, help us today to see you for who you really are. Remove the blinders that have been placed on our eyes. Remove the callousness of our hearts. And help us, Father, today to come to the place where we lay all of our desires down at your feet and just grasp hold of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, this is one of those uh, biblical accounts that we see uh, that many, many times uh, gets fictionalized as we hear the story over and over and over again. As we, if you've been in church any amount of time, if you started out as a child and moved your way up, I'm sure you you drew many pictures or colored pictures of Jesus and the loaves and the fish and the little boy. And so many times that we we hear these uh, biblical accounts, sometimes they become fictionalized in our mind, and sometimes we we focus on the wrong aspects of the passage, like we focus in on the fish or we focus on the faith of the little boy, or we, sometimes we also forget that these are actually biblical accounts. Like we, we forget sometimes that this actually happened. Like on this day, Jesus chose to show himself in this amazing way to this group of people. And what's so amazing, uh, even about the feeding of the 5,000, is that every gospel uh, account, is this is the only miracle besides the resurrection that is in each one of the biblical accounts. So there's something to this. There's something to the message that is behind this. And though the other um, gospel writers, they come from different aspects, we see something so dynamic about God in this. And we can see, if we look deeply, we can see some deep spiritual implications that this passage has, not only back then, but also has on our lives today. So I want us to look, begin looking at this passage. In the first five verses, what I want us to look at is the needs of the hungry crowd. The needs of the hungry crowd. Now what has been taking place is Jesus has been uh, performing miracles. He's been going around, he's been healing people, and he's been doing great signs and wonders. And so he's been, uh, people have become amazed by that. And so last week we left Jesus off and he was in the, in the uh, urban context. He had healed the man next to the, the, the water. And now we see that Jesus is moving back into the rural settings. And so Jesus is for all people. Jesus is for people in the city. Jesus is people for the suburbs. Jesus is for people in the rural settings. Jesus is people for people even if there were people on the moon. Jesus is for those people. Jesus desires to be with them and for them to know him. And so we see Jesus spending time with them. And what has been taking place Place is Jesus' fame has become great. Many, many people had heard about this man and the things that he was doing, and so they wanted to see it for themselves. Now, we know this happens in the world today. Like, I remember watching video clips of when the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show. Do you guys remember seeing those video clips? Like, girls, some of you are like, yeah, I was alive then. That's cool. I wasn't, so that's not a mean statement. That's just a statement of 
differentness things. So anyway, so we see in that video clip, girls like absolutely losing their minds. You know, they're like screaming, they're like tearing their hair for no reason. I'm like, why would girls rip out their hair? Because if you have no hair, the Beatles aren't going to like you because you're hairless, you know? Anyway, so we see girls doing crazy, 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 crazy stuff for the Beatles. And so the Beatles had grown in fame because they were bringing this new music and they were bringing about a rebellion of the youth and trying to change culture and do all this other things. And they're just trying to play music. But it was taking place that this was happening. And so in some ways, I, I, I see in some ways that the crowd that had begun to follow Jesus was in some of the same ways. They were waiting to see what he was going to do next. Like they were waiting to see something. They wanted, maybe there was a part of them that wanted to be part of something that was huge and something big. But I see in their hearts. And here's the truth that, I, that we can take from this. The reality is no one needs Jesus when things are good right? Like when things are going good in our lives, we don't need Jesus. But we see here that the people had needs in their lives because they were bringing their sick, they were bringing their lame, and they saw the signs and wonders that Jesus was doing. In verse 2, they saw what he was doing with the sick. So I have to believe that people that were good, and we know that the people that were good in this day that thought they were good were all the religious people. So the religious people were not following Jesus as the crowd. They were following Jesus trying to Uh, destroy him and trying to bring him low but we see these people who were in need everyone could look around and they could say my life's not perfect i have a a sick aunt or i myself am blind or i'm lame or my my life is falling apart and so no one needs jesus when things are good but when things go bad when things aren't right we come to jesus for help now that is a good thing but it's also a bad thing It's a good thing in that when we realize, when we look at our lives and we see the brokenness of our own lives, it helps us to see that we can't fix it. And that lets us begin the search for something greater. And if we go to Jesus, Jesus is the greatest. So if we're in our brokenness, our first response should be to come to Christ and say, God, here's my mess. Here's here's who I am. And we see that in in the previous passage. We see that with Jesus' mom. We see that with the Roman official. And we even see that last week. But here's the bad side about that. Like if we continue to make Jesus just about what he can do for us, and he's not really Jesus. Like if we, if we come to Jesus, and let's say there's, there's a, a, a part of our lives that aren't right. Let's say we, we just lost our job. And we come to Jesus and we say, Lord, here's my life. I've messed it all up. I don't have a job. I can't provide for myself. I can't provide for my family. Fix it. And we finally come to that place of giving control over to God. And we say, here it is. And then when we get the job, we turn our back on the Lord, right? Because I don't need him anymore. He, he took care of my need. He met my need where it was at, and now I'm going on. And then, again, when the next thing happens, maybe a family member dies, and you're like, oh, man, my, my life's falling apart. And then we come back to the Lord, and we say, Lord, fix it. Make me feel better about myself. Heal me. Help me stop mourning. Help me get, have meaning and purpose in my life. And the Lord comes in, and he heals us over time and through other people, and then we forget about God. That's not what Jesus wants. 
That's, that's the mentality, and that's who those that follow Christ as the crowd, as the mob. For on this day, these people had come, and they had heard about all the things that Jesus was doing, and they came to him. And they were looking for him, not necessarily to, they weren't listening to the, necessarily the things he was teaching, but they were wanting to see the things he was doing. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, heal me. Not Jesus, save me. Not Jesus, change me. Not Jesus, come in and change me from the inside out. No, just keep, keep, your, um, keep doing your work on the outside. But we see God is doing something great. He uses the appetite of man. He uses our insideness, the way he has fashioned us and shaped us. He's made us to have a need for food. And on this day, Jesus chooses to use that need as a way of teaching great spiritual truth. For as Jesus was preaching throughout the day, he had been there all day. And dinner had passed, and the people continued to stay. And we all know what happens when we we sit someplace for a long time and we start to get hungry. Like, what, what happens to our mind? Like, you guys remember back in elementary school as you're in the 30 minutes right before lunch? Remember what your mind's thinking about 30 minutes before lunch in, in middle school, high school, elementary school? Are you thinking about what the teacher's teaching? Or are you thinking about what, you, what are you having for lunch, right? Some of you guys get that way here, too, at about 11.25 or so. You're like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm hungry and my belly's... That's why we give you some donuts and some coffee so that you'll be full a little bit so that you can focus in on what is being taught. But we see that that's what was happening here, too. Like, Jesus understood that. So these people are beginning to be hungry. And just like we were in elementary school or middle school, 20 minutes before lunch, we check out. Nothing matters. Like you can't get any information. You can't get any new knowledge. All that we become consumed about is getting food. And like we become crazy sometimes when it comes to to desiring food. Like what it is that we desire, what it is that we have an appetite for can make us crazy. I think of um, people that are addicted to drugs. Have you ever seen someone that's addicted to drugs and that needs it like right away? Have you ever been in that place? I've been there. And it's like something, a person that's normally, if you just leave them alone and they're just normal, they have everything that they need, everything's on the, on the on even keel, they're very, very nice people. But I've met some people when they're, they're addicted to something and they can't have that, they can't have it just then. They become angry people. They become irate and, and uncontrollable. And like they're not listening to reason, they'll do crazy stuff. Like they've got to go and get money so they can get their next fix, or they've got to go just do crazy stuff and they'll become evil people. That's what happens to us. Like we become hungry and we want to find anything that will satisfy our bellies. And so we focus not on the future. We could care less about the future. We don't care if what the impact of our um, our actions are, we just need what we need, what we need it now, and we go for it right away. Survival of the fittest kicks in. And so Jesus perceives the need. And this is what I love about Jesus, and we see him here. So Jesus is on the mountainside, and he understands that he's, as he's teaching. And we see that he says that he looks up. His eyes are lifted, and he sees the crowd. Now here's the beauty of our loving Savior. Jesus has compassion for people. Jesus is not like some of the superstars of our days. 
Jesus is not concerned about himself. Jesus is not in it to win it for himself necessarily. Like he will, and we'll get to that in, in a little bit because he does all things for his glory and for his father's glory. But we also see that he's not doing things for selfish reasons. He never does things for selfish reasons. But he sees the need of people. And I want you to see, hear this today. As you're part of this crowd that is here this morning, Jesus sees your need. Like whatever need that you've come into this place, Jesus sees it. And even you hear today, and you're like, I don't need anything. Jesus sees that. And he cares for your need. And so Jesus here, he sees the needs of the crowd and he determines to intercede. And he's going to take a very physical need and he's going to intersect it to show a real spiritual need. And he comes in and he's going to do something amazing. I want you to know that, it, that Jesus, when he comes into your life, and you're at the place of your deepest need, and you look to him for help. He will show up. He will show up, and he'll begin working. But if we keep him just as this, this cosmic um, vending machine, where we just keep him as a place of, I go to the Jesus machine every time I need something, then that's not really who Jesus came to be. Jesus came to be Lord of our lives. He became to be Lord of everything. And so we see that. We see those that had begun and how those that had begun hearing about Jesus that have a desire to be close to this person who's doing these great things, we see how they respond. They had come with the desire and Jesus is going to meet their physical needs, but he's also going to share with them about their spiritual needs. But then I want us to focus in for a few minutes on verse 5 through 9 as we want to see the needs of the helpless disciples. See, here Jesus had some guys that were following him. They were walking with him, and they were with him every day, watching him do amazing things. This is even after Jesus sends out the 12, and he says, go, do the ministry that I'm calling you to do. See that I will be there for you. Don't take anything with you, for when you go, I will be with you. I'll be all that you need. And so these disciples went out, and they've come back now, and they were able to see the test case of Jesus' life. That was like Jesus said, I will be with you wherever you go, and he was with them everywhere they went. But they come back to Jesus, and in some ways, I think there's a challenge for many of us that, that follow the Lord after time. Like we come to Christ knowing that we can't save ourselves, and we come to Christ and say, Christ, save me. And Christ says, okay, I will save you. I'll give you a new life. I'll forgive you. I took your pain. I took your shame. I've done all that. Now I begin to walk in me. And so we begin to walk in the Lord. And then we begin to see God do good things. And then eventually we think in our minds this, this switch happens where we no longer think that it's the Lord that's at work, but that it's us at work. Like the benefits of the ministry or the advancement of the ministry depends on us. And that's exactly what's happening here with the disciples. Jesus has an opportunity to test the sufficiency of the disciples. Were they really trusting him after all these years of following him? Or were they trusting in themselves? You see, because they had just done great things. 
Like they had gone out and they had healed and they were with people and they had done great things. And so in some ways, Jesus is sharing his power. He's sharing his mission with them. And so now they're thinking it's their mission, it's their power, and they're in control. And so now when the situation comes where people are hungry, they look inwardly and think, man, we got this. But Jesus sets it up and sets sets the stage in such a way that there's nothing that they can do to take care of this. For Jesus goes to Philip, and here's the amazing thing. Philip was from this area, so Philip knew where the restaurants were. Philip knew where everyone was. He knew all the farmers. He knew everything, so he was the expert of this place. So Jesus goes to the expert of this area, and he says, Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people can eat? Like a very simple, mundane question comes to the disciple and says, you're the expert, you live here, how are we going to care for this? And look at the response that Philip gives. Jesus says he does this to, to test him, but Philip answered him and says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of these people to get a little. So Philip looks inward and he understands that there's not a place to buy food and he does the math, the arithmetic in his mind, and he comes up with these these um, concerns. We don't have the money. We don't have the time. And even if we did, we wouldn't even be able to make a difference. Like, is that really the response of a disciple? Like, as followers of Christ, should that be a response? Should those words come out of our mouths when the Lord says, see, I've brought or done something or I'm going to do something? Should our response be, we don't have the money, we don't have the time, and even if we did, we wouldn't make a difference? And then Andrew comes in. And Andrew's like, okay, we found this boy. We got this boy. This boy has five loaves and two sardines. Basically, he's got five crackers and two little fish. It's barely enough even for the boy, but it's not enough for all these people. I want us to see today, church, we've been here for a year. This is a message that should rest on us. Like the first part of the message is for those that aren't true followers of Christ. But for those of us that are, sometimes when we follow Christ, we absolutely forget whom it is that we're following. Like we know it in our brains, but when it comes to having the rubber meet the road, we forget Christ. We carry out the routine of ministry. And what we do is we carry out the routine of ministry within our reach, within our reason, and within our resources. All the while forgetting our mission. Like sometimes we get so concerned about doing ministry and we forget about people. And we forget about tapping into the power that Christ has given us. For it's easy for us to want to be comfortable and stay within ourselves. But God is about advancing the kingdom in the hearts of people. So when the Lord comes to you and asks you to do something that's beyond your reach, beyond your reason, and beyond your resources, how are we responding? Like, I firmly believe those of you that came from the Hokesson campus, you came to that place where you're like, okay, God, I feel you leading me to come into the city and to be a part of what you're doing here. So I'm going to do that even though it's beyond my reason because I got to leave all my friends up at Hokesson. I got to leave all of that up there. Maybe it's beyond my resources because, you know, we're a small campus. We can't do anything. And, and, 
and all of that, but I've got to trust you. And so you guys answered the call and you came down here. We've been doing this for a year, but I'm afraid. I've, I've been guilty of this myself. I've been guilty in this past year of forgetting about God and just trying to keep it something that makes sense. Like just keeping this thing going. Like, are you guys guilty of that too? Like you're thinking about, man, I, I've got this to do for church on Sunday. Church on Sunday is all about getting the band music set up and making sure we've got bulletins and making sure that we've got pastries and making sure the coffee's hot, making sure kids aren't getting burned by the coffee like mine was this morning. My bad. <laughs> like sometimes we forget that we're here doing the Lord's work. Like that should rest on us this morning. If we are going to make a difference, if we are going to change the world, we've got to live in this place where we're continually trusting the Lord when he presents things to us, things that go beyond what makes sense in our minds. Like, God may come to us and say, hey guys, I want you to pick up, and next week I want you guys to meet down at the Harriet Tubman Park. And like, we got to be ready to just say, okay. We'll go. Not, uh, well, what do we do about the children? Like, what do we do about, how are we going to pay for that? Uh, where are we going to park? Uh, how are the people? We, we can't worry about stuff like that. We got to think about it. Like, we've got to be good planners and all that stuff. But at the same time, we have to listen to the voice of God. And when he speaks, we go. And when he speaks and tells us, we do it. Because if you see here, who was it that brought the crowd on that day? Was it the disciples? Were they coming because the disciples had it all together? Were they coming because they'd heard of the fame of the disciples? Were the disciples the one healing in this, in this case? No, it was Jesus. Jesus was the draw. Jesus was what brought people, and Jesus was what was doing the miraculous things, not the disciples. And I want us to believe that everything that has been done this past year in this place has not been because of us, but it's because of what Christ has done. So people are coming here for Christ. So when those opportunities come and when those questions come, let us think about things and let us ask good questions, but let us not be paralyzed in our reason. Let us not be paralyzed by the lack of resources or let us not be paralyzed by the ideas of going beyond our reach, but let us take our opportunities to trust in the Lord. So we see the needs of the helpless disciples. And lastly, I want us to see the satisfaction of Christ. So Christ now seeing the needs of the people, understanding that he needs to teach his disciples something, determines and decides at this moment in time he is going to show up and he's going to do something that is going to show that he is all satisfying. So Jesus intercedes with a sign and that he will reveal himself not only to the crowd, but to reveal himself to the disciples in a different way. And I love this story. We see he responds, and he tells the people to go have the people sit down. Like, stop the craziness, and just have the people sit down. Just have them chill out. Find a spot, get together with their families. I'm about to do something. Go have them sit down. And then he says, bring the fish to me. So he gets the fish and the loaves, and then what does he do? He himself, who is God himself, 
shows us how we should respond. Whenever we get ready to do something, you go to the place and say, God, thank you. Thank you for who was it that brought the fish on that day? Who was it that brought the barley loaves on that day? It was God. And so, God, we thank you for what you have brought. Though it may not seem like a lot, though it may seem like it's impossible to do what it needs to do, we trust you and thank you for it. So Christ himself shows us what he, we should do. And so he prays and he gives thanks. And then he, the disciples begin to distribute. Now imagine for just a moment, you're a disciple. And like you've got this basket and you start and there's nothing in it. But you go to the first person and you say, here, take some food. And amazingly, miraculously, a little child goes into the basket and they pull out some fish and they pull out some bread. And you're like, wow, where'd that come from? Well, you know where it came from. And then you go to the next person. And then you go to the next person. You go to the next person. And you go to the next person. You go to the next person. Every time they dip their hand in the basket, they pull food out, and there's enough. And there's enough. And there's enough. And people are being fed. Their needs are being met. And you're sitting back, and you're thinking to yourself, I did not do this. So we come to the end of the meal. And Jesus here gives his disciples an object lesson, something that they will not shortly or quickly forget. There's a bunch of food left over. And Jesus tells his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so what happens? The disciples take those baskets and they go back and they pick up everything that was left over. And guess how many baskets were left over? Twelve baskets in such a way that this, these disciples, these followers of Christ now had something as they're carrying it away to be a constant reminder, I cannot, but he can. Like he did this. And he did it in such abundance that there was left over. So that there was no need. And he was sufficient to supply and be all that, all that we needed. <laughs> I think this is the lesson that they learned. When the faith of a disciple remains within their reach, within their resources, and within their reason, they can barely feed a child. But once that faith is placed in Christ, he is sufficient to supply. So that's the message that we hear of this satisfaction Christ for the disciples. But I also want us to see that Jesus was also trying to share with the crowd. For we see here, as it's happening in verse 15, oh, I'm sorry, in verse 14, those that were there saw the sign, like they knew that there was no food, and then when the basket came around, there was food. There was enough for them. Their bellies were full. And when they saw the sign, what Jesus had done They said to themselves, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. So what we see happening here is the blinders of their eyes had been removed to not just see Jesus as a wonder worker, but they saw him as one that was sent from God. So they knew that Jesus was from God, even though this this is the very foundation or the first steps of faith. For they had made the assertion that Jesus was the Messiah, But they didn't allow Jesus to define what Messiah meant. 
For they had allowed their culture and the way they were brought up to define what Messiah meant. For they had all believed that this Messiah that was going to come was going to be this religious, political leader that was going to overthrow the Roman government and bring uh, the Jewish people back into prominence. And that's why it says that they were They had their blinders enough off to see that he was the Messiah sent from God and they kept it in their own context and their own definition and they said, now let's go and make him king. And Jesus, perceiving this in verse 15, knew that it wasn't why he's come, so he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So Jesus gets away. He's like, no crowd, you're not making me king. I have not come to be that kind of king. I've come to be king of kings and lord of lords to be your lord. So then it's not after this, after this, Jesus goes and he uh, sends his disciples on the water across the way. He goes up the mountainside to pray. All the people are there. They've gone home and they're doing all these great things. And then that night, Jesus walks on water, meets his disciples out there. The people wake up in the morning. They're like, well, that boat went. We saw Jesus wasn't there, but where's Jesus now? And they hear these on the other side. So what does the crowd begin to do later on in verse six or chapter six? They go all the way across or they get in their boats and they get across as soon as they can to find Jesus. And then Jesus has this moments, and I don't have time to go into all of this discourse, but I want you to hear what Jesus says in verse 35. As this crowd has come back, this crowd that has their bellies full, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus says, your bellies were full yesterday. And if you're looking for someone that's just going to come and fill your bellies every day, I'm not him. I want to be something greater. I've come to be the bread of life. Like, I am the gift that has been given to you. Like, I have come, and I'm going to a cross, and on that cross, I'm going to take all of the sin of the world will be laid on me, and I will freely take the penalty of that. I will pay your debt. Then I'm going to go to a grave and I'm going to come back again. And I'm going to rule and reign with God at his right hand. And I will pay your debt. I will take care of all of this. But I've come in such a way to be the bread of life. So that if you come to me and make me what you look for, for love and for hope and and to fill that appetite that's inside of you, you will have life. Now, he doesn't say here that you'll have life and everything else will be uh, hunky-dory. Like, you won't have any more pain. He doesn't say that. But he promises that we will have life, that we will be whole, we will be fixed, we will be forgiven, and then we can live in life in him so that when the challenges come, so that when the appetites come and the hungers come and the things break again, we'll know who to go to to find our rest and to find our fulfillment. So in closing, I want us to realize today that we have hunger. We have appetites that have been placed in us by God. The question is, where do you go to have them filled? Snickers promises that it will really satisfy. Doritos promises you can crunch all you want because we'll make more. But these Promises are always propagating profits, profits that benefit themselves, not really you or me. But it's almost as though Christ, and this is going to sound pithy, but just go with it. It, it make, allow the mental image to connect this morning. 
There's nobody out there like Willy Wonka making an everlasting gobstopper. Right? There's no company that makes an everlasting gobstopper. A piece of candy that you put in your mouth and that never goes away, that it's always sweet when you taste it. Because if a company did that, they would go broke because you can only make a certain amount and then eventually no one else needs them ever again. Right? Well, see, that's the difference. No one makes an everlasting gobstopper, gobstopper except for Christ. Like Christ is that everlasting gobstopper. You put him in your mouth, you make him a part of your life, and guess what? He will never run dry. He never runs out. He always fills. He always satisfies. He always gives life. Like that's awesome, right? Now believers that have been following Christ, don't take the everlasting gobstopper out of your mouth. Like, don't take it out and try to put something else in because it's not going to satisfy you. But keep that in. Just keep loving the Lord, seeking the Lord with all your heart, and he will continue to show you great things. If you're here today and you're just in a place of brokenness, you're in a place today where you just need the Lord, I want you to be encouraged to go and find him. Call out to him. If you need some help in like knowing the Lord, if you don't know the Lord at all, come see me. Come see uh, one of the other guys or ladies that are here. Just say, help me know how to know Jesus. But for many of us today, the response that we need to make is just to continue to trust in him and allow Christ to be our all-satisfying. Let's pray, Father.